This is Speakeasy Theology with Chris Green. Well, obviously I didn't get this to you before Christmas, but as the scripture says, better late than never. And there's something fitting to doing it on Epiphany Sunday, which is when I'm recording this. I want to finish the series by looking at an early piece by Jensen, a sermon, in fact, and then a late essay. The, the, the sermon was preached when he was still still finding his voice. I, I, I think, and he once agreed with me, that story and promise marks the, the beginning of his mature thought. In that book, he's found his, his rhythm, he's found his, his way, both as a theologian, I think, and as, as a man, as a, as a priest. But this early book, Religion Against Itself, and, and other early works are, are far from useless or worthless. In fact, they contain some of my favorite passages of Jen's. Because he's rowdy at times, edgy at times. And you, you can hear that in on virtually every page of this book. I mean, if you see were to see my copy, there's hardly a page of it that isn't marked up. I don't think it's anything like as good as what story and promise would be or a lot of the work that comes after story and promise. It doesn't have the same depth or clarity. It isn't, it isn't mature. It hasn't aged in the way that it needed to age. But again, these, there are absolutely insights here and terrific turns of phrase as well as, an edginess, as I've called it, that I I think was always present for him, but sometimes could be blunted, at least in what he wrote in, in later works. But what I want to share in particular is from the last chapter of this book, the, the, the first thing I want to share, which is called, this last chapter is called Homiletical Attempts. He's going to lay out what, why he thinks this matters, why he thinks he needs this last chapter in the book. And then I'm going to read just a bit from, well, I'll, I'll read most of one of the sermons. It's brief, a few paragraphs. But here's, here's how he opens that last chapter. The proof of any theology is in the preaching. Indeed, it is not possible fully to understand a theology apart from hearing, or if necessary, reading, some of the preaching associated with it. For theology is but thinking through how to get the gospel said. That is, theology is thinking about what is to be said in preaching. That, I think, Jen's held to be true throughout his, throughout his career and, and lived it, lived it and, and pressed other people to live it, other theologians to live it and other preachers to live it. And, and I wholeheartedly agree right that the 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 function of theology is to make preaching better it's to to make it so that our preaching isn't self-contradicted from the start that our preaching makes the sense the gospel requires it to make in our moment as he'll say in story and promise the gospel precisely in order to be itself can never be said the same way twice and theology is the work necessary the behind the scenes work necessary for us to say the gospel intelligibly and effectively and faithfully 
moment to moment, situation to situation, each, each new time. So one of the examples he gives is a sermon he preached, believe it or not, some weeks after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And it's it's odd to read because you, you realize, or at least I realize reading it, or I, what I feel reading it is I can't imagine what it what it must have felt like for him and for others in, in his world to have witnessed that, to have seen what had happened, what he calls the crumpled young Caesar, the image of that cutting through through all of the the naivete and the presumption of the privilege of that time. But I want to focus on a sermon he gave shortly before Christmas, so an Advent sermon. And it has that I can I can hear this in his voice, and the 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 crankiness of it, and but also the playfulness of it. So, without further ado, here here is shortly before Christmas a sermon that he gave a homily. Really, it is about time for various religious leaders and such to begin denouncing the commercialism of Christmas. Probably this needs to be done occasionally. And I may even join in later. But if past experience is a guide, sooner or later one of them will attack fancy gift wrappings and jingle bells and Santa Claus. And then I draw the line. What, after all, is the matter with these things? They are secular, quote-unquote. They are not religious enough. And somehow the opinion circulates that in order to be real Christians, we have to live always by reference to the ultimate issues whether heaven or the social revolution. And he continues that line of thought for a paragraph. I'll skip ahead. Do not mistake me. We indeed live every act of our lives in the presence of God. But if we find no place in the life of faith for jingle bells, if we sing such joyous things as Britain's ceremony of carols at concerts but not in church, or if we sing the same carol gaily and spontaneously outside a girl's dormitory at midnight, but glumly and laboriously in chapel, then we have misunderstood which God we are dealing with. For the real God before whom we live, the God of Christmas, is not nearly so religious and serious as we are. He does not only enjoy hymns. He likes to relax a little from time to time. The word from God for this morning is Merry Christmas. A baby has lived and defined the life of God. Babies laugh and giggle, which means God laughs and even giggles. And who can be religious while changing diapers? It is time to sing for the fun of it. Time to decorate windows, to be materialistic, and tell your beloved that you would love a useless negligee. It is time to sing bouncy tunes in church and some evenings not study very hard with a clear conscience. For our judge will be one who has let down to the enormous extent of playing in the Palestinian equivalent of sandboxes and such, who has endorsed the childish side of life. And that, that I, again, I think it captures something essential, not only about Jensen's theology, but something essential about the gospel. That when Jesus says you must become like a little child, that that's not, that's not some narrow and joyless call. 
we are we are meant to grow down into childlikeness and that the more childlike we are the more playful and imaginative the fuller of life we are the readier we are for life and all of its surprises the more like god we are in those ways i i think too jen's readiness to call out a, a kind of seriousness as a mistake is is nothing less than prophetic I, and of course his world the world he was living in when he wrote that sermon and get and delivered it and the world that i've grown up in are well, hardly overlap at all they both happen to be in the united states but none of the same people inhabit those circles and i understand and, and not only because of differences in time but there 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 are all kinds of false seriousnesses just like there are child childish ways of not taking seriously enough what what has gone wrong in the world and not not facing up to reality and and that has to be denounced too but the, there there is a kind of holy playfulness that's holy not not because it's too good to get itself to get dirty right and as as he puts it here like to come down into the Palestinian equivalent of sandboxes. But it's holy be- precisely because it's it's not self-regarding. It's not consumed with keeping an image. It, it's it's letting letting life be what it is, letting letting life come with all its surprises and, and delighting in that. That is I think what Jensen's theology at its best does because it points to the metaphysics of Advent and the metaphysics of Christmas, the metaphysics of the gospel, that God, God's goodness is, is a delighted goodness. I, I remember years ago, it's, it's clear in this sermon that Jens is annoyed with some of the other preaching he's heard. And I, and I, I remember years ago when I was a very young preacher preaching a sermon that got me in a little bit of a, I mean, trouble's the wrong word, but there were some folks who who pushed back pretty hard against what I had said. And I, I argued in the sermon pretty, pretty forcefully, or at least as I remember it forcefully, that God means for us to be happy, not just joyful. And and that, that stemmed from sermons that I had heard, which people had said, God does not care about our happiness. He cares about our holiness. He doesn't care about our happiness. He just wants us to be people of joy. That joy is deeper than happiness, right? That we can be, we can be joyful even when we're not happy. But that struck me. It still strikes me as, as the, as the wrong kind of serious, as, as an attempt to be religious in the sense that we do not want to be right. I, I mean, I, we can all use that word religion or religious differently. And certainly there, there are ways in which we should want to be religious. As Nick Cave will say, religion is spirituality with rigor. And if that's the sense we mean it, I, I'm religious. And I, I, I would think many of us need to be, perhaps all of us need to be. But I don't want any part of the stuffiness uh, or of a pretentious seriousness a seriousness that that is sour, that's hard, that's self-consumed, that that is worried about image, 
with 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 how it's seen. That that is that frets about life. That that breeds scrupulosity and judgmentalism. Like I, I want no part of that kind of seriousness. And I I I was pressing for that, well or poorly, in that sermon all, all those years ago. Right, that God means for us to be happy. Right, to to enjoy life to enjoy the good things of life, to do, as Jens will say here, right, to sing bouncy songs in church, to to laugh and to giggle. And that, I, I'm just convinced of it down down to my bones, that God is a God who who belly laughs and that there, there, there may be nothing, and I don't have it at hand, but there's a place in which Rahner, Carl Rahner will say much of the same thing, that sometimes the holiest thing we can do is laugh, right? And the saints are those who don't laugh when they shouldn't, who don't, who don't laugh at others' expense. The, the saints are, are never shallow, but they absolutely are playful. And, and holiness does open us up to, to humor. And that you can see that in this line, the God of Christmas is a God who's not nearly so religious and serious as we are. He does not only enjoy hymns, he likes to relax a little from time to time. That, years later, would take, would, would kind of come to the fore again in a, in a piece that Jens wrote on the devil, believe it or not. It may be my single favorite, my single favorite essay by Jensen. If, I, if there's just one, you know, that, that game about what you take to the desert island, I, I really think this, if I could only take one piece, one chapter, one, one passage from Jensen, I think it would be this essay, which is entitled Evil as Person. And, and I won't work through it, work through it all for the sake of time, but I, I want to focus. He, he's, he's writing specifically about the devil and what it means to think of the devil as personal. And he begins by saying he need, in fact, the, the essay is subtitled a work of penance because he he's, he's acknowledging that he hasn't given this it's due in his theology up to this point. And he, he points out, you know, the irony being that he's a Lutheran theologian and, and hasn't given this sufficient thought. But I, I'm interested for this conversation in what he says about God and humor. And so I'm, I'm reading now from a section entitled The Personhood of God and Humor. What, one may ask, are the rock-bottom constituents of the affirmation that there is God, if it is the biblical God one has in mind? I suggest that there are two. First, to affirm God is to affirm that all reality, and especially reality conceived as history, is embraced in a moral intention. It is to say that our apparently inescapable endeavor to do good, to choose the future, is in accord with that encompassing reality in which we find ourselves and in which we seek to choose. To affirm God is at this first level to say that there is moral order to the whole of things. It is to assert that the ground of being is a subjectivity, a will and an intelligence that intends some futures and not others. Now, this is 
this is dense, but also to the point. Interestingly, there's a, there's a typo in this passage, which he refers to God as a well and an intelligence. It, it's clear to me from other, other parts of Jensen's work that he means will and intelligence. But it is also true that God is a, is a well. God Out of God comes all that God is for us. So it, it's, it's a fun mistake to notice. <coughs> but... I I think Jen's point in this first affirmation is is clear. God is personal in that God wills some futures and not others. Right? God knows and wants for us and for himself this and not that. And it's God and those that will, those wants and those desires, those intentions that give reality its beginning, its ground, its middle, its end, its consummation. It's, it's what makes the reality real. The second affirmation is to say that God is good. Not only that God is has will and intelligence, but that that moral intention is is truly good the question is is the world valued is the world loved are there intentions for the world and is the world valued and loved antecedently to our values valuings and loves the one who says there is god answers that question yes but that is only the first question and is affirmative answer only the first of two steps in the affirmation of god for merely to say that the world is always antecedently valued, that the ground of the world is a subjectivity with moral intention, is not quite yet to say that there is God, at least, again, if with that word you mean something like what the Bible means. For it is not yet to assert that the subjectivity of, of the ground of things can be addressed, can be talked to. It is not yet to say that prayer is possible. A sheer moral subjectivity is not yet personal, and thus to say that there is a moral intention at the ground of things is not yet to speak of what the scriptures call God. And so now he wants to talk about the difference between moral subjectivity and personhood. Between the fact that God has will and intelligence, but has will and intelligence in a way that allows for us to address it. A will and intelligence that's truly good. And you'll notice that for Jensen, it's that addressability responsibility, the, the, the ability to respond to us that makes God's godness good and personhood and goodness become identical for him. There are many ways, I suppose, in which one might stipulate the difference between a mere moral subjectivity and a person. But for this essay, let me do it so. Personal, personal subjectivity has not only morality, but also humor. A person is a moral subjectivity with a sense of humor. If God, therefore, is personal, he is not only the moral intention at the ground of things, he is also the laughter at the ground of things, the sense of humor at the ground of things. We often ask why God takes such long ways around to his stated objectives. 
We wonder why he takes the long roundabout of crucifixion and resurrection to his stated goal of reestablishing righteousness in the world. Given an omnipotence, why not just do it? We wonder why he permits the fall as an enormously painful long way around to the goal of showing mercy. We wonder why the history of his church is so crooked. It does not, of course, answer those questions to say that God does it because he has a sense of humor. But it does, I suggest, precisely state the phenomena. The difference between the impersonal moral world ground and God, God as scripture speaks of him, is that we can talk to God. Prayer is possible. But prayer, of course, is a funny phenomenon, and in both senses, funny peculiar and funny ha-ha. Why ever, after all, would omnipotence enjoy our praises, and why do we need to petition omniscience? Surely God already knows what we want and knows moreover what we need, and moreover knows what he is or is not going to do about it. If omniscience solicits our praises, if omniscience wants information from us, this can only be described as that peculiar kind of self-awareness and humility that we call humor. It is funny when God converses with us, paying, paying real attention to our side of the conversation, but he does do just that. So God, for Jensen, is funny, funny, peculiar, and funny, ha-ha. That's why things go the way they go. That's why prayer is possible. And it's in that sense that God, that God is good. And it's that God that comes to bear at Christmas. And it's why joy bells, uh, jingle bells, and the joys of Christmas and Santa Claus, negligees, and sandboxes. It's why all of that is taken up as good by those who don't take themselves too seriously, like God have learned to have a sense of humor. They've become intoxicated enough with God, filled up with God enough that they're no longer full of themselves and therefore humorless and joyless. They can be happy. And if we, if we take that seriously, if we take that seriously, he goes on in this essay to say, you know, the devil evil as person is, Incapable of that, incapable of letting the joke be on him. In fact, what he says that what ails the devil is that the devil is witty, but not funny. Witty, but not funny. And he, he references Luther's name for the devil as a sour spirit. And then Jens adds, the devil's jokes are never on himself. God is happy for the joke to be on him. One of my mentors, my wife, and I both deeply indebted to her. Mrs. I taught psychology to us when we were in, in undergrad and a lot more than psychology, but that's how we, how we connected with her. But she would often say, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. And I think at one point in my life, I heard that as don't take yourself too seriously. You're not God after all. But now I hear it differently. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's what it means to be like God, after all. To, to quote Jens again, God is fully and unconquerably a person. His humor is joyous. His humor is joyous. He always sees the joke on himself. And he can because he's triune. And, and he goes on you know, in the essay to work through how that triunity 
makes it so that God can be there for himself, can see the joke on himself, and and can laugh at himself. Not, not impishly, not cruelly, but freely. But he, he doesn't take himself too seriously. I, I had a, an experience, mm, trying to think when this would have been. I was struggling to write something, and I'm, hope, I'm hoping someday to, to any of you who've heard me talk much about Mary know that I, for a long time, wanted to, to write a book about Mary as the first disciple, as the fool of grace, F-O-O-L, the one who, who gets God's sense of humor first, or, or not first in the sense of historically, of course, but in the sense that she's standing closest to hand to God in the flesh as, as he starts to show himself. And that notion of her as full of grace comes from praying and trying to think of a way to, to write about and talk about Mary to people who just are put off by it, are afraid of, afraid of her talking about her and all that she represents and all that talking about her represents for so many people. It's, it's, what, what is said about Mary can be said about anyone else that it wouldn't seem off-putting, but something about talking about Mary feels Catholic and strikes these deep, deeply disturbing notes for people. And it hit me one day that what I had to do to talk about Mary well, in, in, at least in my circles, is to make light of her. And it, it came it came like that, just out of the blue. Make light of me. Make light of me. And, and of course, I'm hearing the joke in it. Make light of me. But in the sense, not don't take me too seriously. Don't, don't puff it up. Don't make it seem somber and heavy. Let, let there be lightness to it. And that will be the illumination. That will be the, the radiance. And out of that came this one morning, not long after that, just I woke up with these lines in my head. Hail, Hail Mary, full of grace. H-E-L-L-F-O-O-L. Hail Mary, full of grace. The low roads in thee. The low roads in thee. And there were other lines I won't get through now. They'll, hopefully someday they'll, they'll be in the book. But that, again, struck that same note for me that this is where God is best seen in those who, who take things lightly in that sense. Not, not dismissing responsibility, not refusing to face up to what reality is, but refusing to be serious when playfulness is what's called for, refusing to appear wise when foolishness is what's called for, the foolishness of grace in particular, and taking that low road 
and that and that readiness to to seem a fool. And of course, that's exactly what Paul means, right? When he says we are we are fools for Christ's sake. This, I think, then is right, right at the center of the center, right at the heart of the heart of Jensen's theology and of the metaphysics that his theology is trying to bear witness to, the metaphysics of the gospel, that God does not take himself too seriously, that God, as unconquerably a person, delights in being our God, delights in sharing life with us, in in being with us, us being who we are, in the throwaway moments of life, in, in relaxing a little. And this is one of the things I think that the spirituality of my youth at its best understood that God's, the weightiness of God and the lightness of God are one. And we can and should dance between them. We can and should be moved from, from one to the other. And that there, there are times which we should be flat on our faces under the weight of the glory. And then there are other times we should be standing upright with our faces uplifted, laughing, laughing to ourselves to tears because of how good God is and how surprising. And that, I think, is what m- makes it trustworthy. I, I remember a couple of seasons ago on Painting with John, John the John Lurie show on HBO, he, he talked about being in various places around the world the course of his life and how he'd learned no matter what, no matter where he was, whether he knew the language or not, whether he knew anyone else or not, that he could tell very quickly whether or not he was safe by listening to the kinds of laughs that were in the room. And he says, you know, there, there's a laugh that comes from the back of the throat there's a kind of shallow laugh from the chest, and then there's a deep belly laugh. And he said, if if you hear a laugh that's from the back of the throat, that's a cackle, and you're in trouble. Those people will eat you. But if you're with people who are laughing from their bellies, you're safe. And not only safe, you're home. Whether you speak the language or not, whether you share a history with them or not, if they're laughing from their bellies with you. They're not going to eat you. They're going to, to share the table with you. And and that, I think that intuition, that experience is true, like right across the board. And what Jensen's theology is doing is bearing witness to that, that it, it, it just is so, because this is who God is, that God is joy. And happiness, God does not take himself too seriously. And it, what would happen if we, if we brought that awareness to our understandings of the last judgment? If we brought that to our understandings of salvation, forgiveness, the call to repentance and obedience? That God, what if we brought that? the ways in which we taught people to pray that what will set God what 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 you will find 
when God is near. Yes, at times, an unbelievable weightiness. I mean, ask Ezekiel, ask Elijah, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But those moments are navigable because of the God who's at table with us laughing, the, the, the sense of humor that God is, the, the laughter that is at the ground of all things. So I, 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 don't, I don't want to, to make it seem as if there is no weight of glory. But that weight of glory, it would be crushing if it weren't for the weightlessness of the glory, the, the being becoming lightheaded from laughing so hard with this God who wants to surprise us with, with goods we could not have anticipated, with God who's, who's happy for the joke to be on him, who, but who is delighted at these moments that, that crack us up, that crack us up. And if, if, if I could understand my brokenness that way, if I could understand my repeated failures in that way, it would it would free me. It does free me. As I understand it, it does free me. I think that God is never grim. God is never dour or a sour spirit. God is the laughter at the ground of things. And so to obey is to be drawn toward hilarity. God loves a hilarious giver because God is a hilarious giver. And we're meant for hilarity. And that's why, as C.S. Lewis will put it, joy is serious business. (laughs) 